I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Sunday, October 22nd, 2023, and this is episode 224 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So just a reminder, you can sign up for the Footnotes newsletter, which includes the show notes for each episode, as well as inspiration, strategies, and ideas to help you grow as a writer and a creative. That's at myimaginaryfriends.net slash footnotes. When you sign up, you can also choose to become an imaginary best friend for a few dollars a month and get access to the premium posts, which are long form craft essays, as well as discounts on my courses. I did a premium post this past week. It was on writing community. So join me there at myimaginaryfriends.net slash footnotes. So this week's best thing was the Women Write Book Festival. It happened last weekend and I was there for two days. So this is something that I, I went to for the first time last year. And it was a one-day reader-focused event. This year they split it up into two days. So there was the reader day, which was basically just a reader event where we were selling books and meeting readers. I sold out of my books. I met a bunch of great readers who had read Monsters Redefy and were really excited about it. So that was awesome. The second day, Sunday, was an author-focused event, like a networking luncheon, and I was the keynote speaker, which was um, always like an honor, but also terrifying. And I got a good, you know, response from my keynote. People seemed to like it. It's always hard for me to take that in and believe it, but I thought it was a good speech. <laughs> so hopefully, other people got something out of it. That's the that's the whole point. And then there were uh, workshops by writers and editors. Mark Leslie Lefay from Draft Digital was actually there. And yeah, it was, a, it was a very good event. It was it was coming on the heels of several other events that I'd been to in the past few weeks. So I was just going and I was actually, I got back home on Sunday and I was just empty. My tank was completely drained. And so it was probably too much to schedule all at the same time between Nink and Capclave. And then I had a week, but I was giving a workshop and then that, and then every other weekend this month, which there's not many left now, but I am giving workshops. And I do think that by doing this, by pushing myself, you know, you only grow when you push yourself. I started these new workout classes and I'm working out more and lifting weights more. And that's just the same way with lifting weights, right? Like, you have to lift heavier to get stronger. And so you have to kind of push a little past your comfort zone to get stronger. And then you build up a tolerance for it. So the same way that I was telling someone that when I first started writing or, or publishing, like in 2015, at, around the same time, I had decided that I needed to do more public speaking to get more comfortable with it because I was so shy and introverted and afraid of it. And I, I forced myself to keep doing it. And it's so much easier now. You know, I I I do get nervous a little bit, but not a lot. You know, it's like always a little bit of hmm. But I can just kind of go anywhere and talk to anybody about anything that I know about, that I feel comfortable about. You know, like if they're going to ask me questions about topics that I have no idea about, I'd be like, hmm, I won't feel so comfortable. I can probably still wing it and make something up or at least admit I don't know. That's probably what I would do. I'd say something that I thought might be cogent and then just be like, but I'm not really an expert on that. But all of that to say that pushing myself to be to become more comfortable has helped. And so 
even though I've been doing a lot, forcing myself to do a lot, draining myself, I think the capacity is growing, which is a good thing. Announcements. So Preptober is still happening. As I'm recording this, it's the 22nd. There's still a few days left in the month of October, which I can't believe the year is almost over. I've just been mind blown by the fact how fast 2023 has gone. Anyway, I'm still doing the Preptober live videos, prepping for NaNoWriMo over on YouTube, or if you're watching this on YouTube, (laughs) Mondays and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern live. And we're going to roll that into actual National Novel Writing Month in November and do live write-ins at the same time. So Mondays and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern time, live on YouTube. If you would like to join for a few writing sprints at that time. Now, I am a morning writer, so this is late in the day for me. But since I will be working on two books, I will have to do two different sessions. So work on a book in the morning session and then draft this new NaNoWriMo book in the evening sessions. So if you want to get uh, on the newsletter list for reminders about the live events, just go to myimaginaryfriends.net slash nano, N-A-N-O. And yeah, we're having fun with the Preptober stuff. Shout out to everyone who's been joining in and I'm getting my book. I'm getting my mind wrapped around the book that I want to write. And I'm really excited about it. And I'm glad that I'm doing this because it's, again, it's another push. It's another doing things in the evenings when otherwise I would be just crashed out. But I'm excited about this book. So more on that later, I'm sure. The other thing that's come out of this from like the course and sort of teaching a bunch of workshops this year for different writing groups and then doing this live online stuff is I think I would like to try to do some like writing, coaching. And so I'm going to dip my toe in that water. People have a lot of questions and I do have answers and things to share and techniques that I think might help people. It's an experiment to see if I actually like it. I mean, I think I will. Like I have always enjoyed mentoring and the teaching that I do and the workshops that I teach. And so doing it one-on-one could be cool. And I guess it is trying like to expand myself and my um my abilities, my comfort level, my the ways that I can like reach out and help people and sort of give back in certain ways, but also expand my business. And there was an interesting article. There's been these series of articles by um, Tara McMullen, who's a podcast host, among many other things. And I've been talking about them in the footnotes newsletter. And one that, that came out, I guess, this week was just on doing the work that you were born to do, this concept that you hear. Like there's people out there coaching you to like do what you were born to do. And she brings in the quote that's been attributed to James Baldwin, but apparently isn't by him, that, you know, what is your dream job? I do not dream of labor, something like that. And it's a really interesting article. I will link to it in the show notes. And I'm, I commented on it. I think it's actually, it might be paid, though. There might be a paywall on it. Um, but I did comment on it because just saying that she did draw some very interesting conclusions and she's bringing in speculative fiction in these different books where there are aliens or humans that are engineered for very specific tasks. You know, there's, um, I can't remember the author, China Melville, and she brought in a book um, where there is an alien race and their language, we can't, we physically can't speak. We can understand it. So they engineer humans or 
beings, clones or something, to be able to speak this language, to communicate between the humans and these aliens. And that's a, an example in, in speculative fiction of work you were literally born to do. Barring that, is there work that we as humans are born to do? And is do we have a like in our capitalistic society, is there a broken relationship between that idea? And I can appreciate what she was saying, but also like on a spiritual level, I do think that creative people, there are things we were put here to do. Part of life is figuring out, you know, your purpose on the planet. Without purpose, people fall apart. You know, I think that a large part of these negative emotions, you know, like there's depression, which is chemical. I was listening to an interview where uh, she was a uh, scientist was saying that depression is really some sort of immune response. But also, there's an element of it that is a lack of purpose. Like when you're not feeling motivated, when you don't have a reason to get up in the morning, it's easier not to. It's like first world problems. Did our ancestors, were they depressed? I mean, they literally, if they didn't get up and hunt or farm and or gather, they died. So I don't think that there was room for that level of emotion. My point being, purpose is incredibly important for us. And so the idea of figuring out what you were put on this planet to do, I think is incredibly important. Now, we probably do talk about it in ways that are less than helpful, but the core idea, like as if you're not, you're not here to enrich billionaires, you know, we're not here to make the companies that we work for more money. We are here to, how do you find purpose and meaning while still earning enough you know, to live and to not go hungry or, you know, be cold or you have to address your Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So there's this intersection of the things that we're good at, the things we like to do, and the things that other people need. And in the overlap of the Venn diagram is our purpose, or at least is a good place to start exploring purpose. I think I lost my train of thought. And one thing I do tell writers is that I do believe that there is an audience out there for everyone's story. I think there is someone out there who will benefit and actually needs to read your story. There's, I was listening to this interview with Nalini Singh on um, Faded Mates podcast, talking about an experience that I've had. You know, there's readers reach out to you and tell you how, how your books help them through hard times. You know, when you have a reader who is undergoing chemotherapy and it's like, I just wanted things to read with the five hours that I'm hooked up to the machines or whatever. And I read your book and it brought me joy and like, that feeling is indescribable and that feeling pushes you forward. And it doesn't have to be necessarily that dramatic, but those are the reasons that we do this in part. We do this for readers. We do this to bring like moments of levity, joy, relaxation, escape into people's lives. And if that is the only purpose, I think that is valuable and needed in the world. Anyway, my writing update. I'm working on Brutal Fortress, which is the third book in the Bliss Wars trilogy. And last week, so I had been doing my first draft, my fast draft. Last week, it fell apart around the middle of the week. And it was corresponding to getting to the end of the book where, you know, I plotted it. I was writing to my outline. And then I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. What was I thinking about when I wrote this outline? Where was my brain? Why didn't I see all of these huge holes in logic? I don't know. I don't know. I can't say. 
but I noticed them when I was trying to write the scenes. And so I had to stop. I had gotten, I don't even know how many words I have, but I was just writing things at the end. And I'm like, this is not, there's no point to this. So I had to stop and figure out how I was going to replot the thing. So I wanted to go over the steps that I took when I got stuck in my first draft to regroup replan and figure out how to address it and came to this amazing, wonderful breakthrough that I feel really good about draft two now. So the first thing that you do in a revision is start with what you have, start with the story you have. And I think I got that from Holly Lyle. There's a revision course that I did many, many years ago. And the first step is start with a story that you have, which means rereading your draft. So I go back to the beginning and I reread and make notes. I don't change or edit anything in the draft. It still has some typos. It still has me stopping in the middle of a sentence when I realized I was going off track and me the notes that I have to myself, which I do in all caps in my first draft. So I'm really just typing. And when I realize I've gone off the rails, I just hit return, new paragraph, write a note to myself in caps, and then do a new paragraph and, and start over. No editing in the first draft, right? And no editing in this read-through in your first pass of revision. So I use um, either a notebook, a text file, my remarkable make notes somewhere else about every chapter or everything that I see that is wrong and questions that I have to answer, where I realized I went off the rails, things that I need to put in that I was still discovering when I was writing the fast draft. Then I get a spreadsheet out and I have a story spreadsheet where I story grid each scene. There is a version of this um, on my website. If you go to lpenelope.com and the for, for writers um, menu link, there's resources for writers there. I'll link to it in the show notes. The spreadsheet that I use, I go scene by scene. And depending on what I need, like I do change the spreadsheet for different books. It doesn't always stay the same. So I will track the story grid items, which is the, or my version of them. I think I've added some things to Sean Coyne's actual story grid process, which his spreadsheet is like insane. I took some things away and added some other things. So I do often track the desire, the inciting incident, the progressive complications, the turning point, the climax, the crisis, the climax, the resolution. Sometimes I will track the goal, motivation, the conflict. I'll obviously track the POV, the setting, the location. Sometimes I'll track the turning point. I mean, any craft thing, I have a lot of things. And so when I started this process, I was like, oh, what do I need to track? And I, I ate up like 45 minutes trying to figure out which spreadsheet, which columns on the spreadsheet I needed. And then I was like, okay, this is not, this is procrastination. This is not as important as I think it is. I'm just going to actually, I ended up going back to the original outline that I had made for this book, which is in a spreadsheet and just editing that because everything was in there, but it was wrong. So I do get caught by indecision, but I think it is a form of procrastination. And sometimes you have to think through it to get to the other side. And there's something in there that will help you. But after 45 minutes of just trying to figure out which columns I needed in my spreadsheet, I realized that is not useful time being spent. And I have to just make some kind of decision and I can always change it later. So I went through and I started going back through each chapter, each scene of the draft and 
you know, updating the spreadsheet with between what I thought I was going to write and what I actually wrote, and then also writing what it should be. Sometimes I do that in different colors or in different columns. The next step is to try to write out the synopsis. So a brand new synopsis beginning to end of what the story should be. This is sort of interrupted by, because I, I can't do that all the way through when I'm still figuring things out. And there were big things, big holes that I didn't know. There were some world building things I hadn't figured out. There were some character motivation things I hadn't figured out. There were some backstory things I hadn't figured out about certain characters. And so as I'm rewriting a, a, a synopsis in prose form, I'm checking the structure. I pulled out my Save the Cat worksheet and I you know, plugged everything into that to see where we were. I reviewed the character arcs in my character arc spreadsheet and making sure that, you know, is the character moving towards this this, this outcome, this this transformation that they're going to have? Because both of my main characters were on change arcs. I reviewed their motivations, their wounds, their flaws. And at some point I had to work backwards from the end because I knew the end. I kind of knew how I was going to get there, but often doing a backwards outline helps. So if at the end we have, you know, happy ending, you know, the couple is together, what was the step right before that? And then what was the step right before that? And making sure that everything is cause and effect relationship. And then also looking at the theme. Did I know what themes I was working with in this book? Since it's a trilogy, the themes are kind of building on each other. Each book is a slightly different version of a theme, brainstorming that. And then as I'm doing these things, going back to the synopsis and continuing to tell myself the story the way I want it to be, you know, write it out. And the point at which I got stuck, which I was very glad to have someone to talk to. I'm in my writing sessions every morning with my friend Inez Johnson, and she helped me a lot because she has a great understanding of story structure. You know, we both come from we met at Howard and the TV film program. I was in film, she was in TV. She worked in television for many years. She taught script writing and she teaches you know, her courses now and she's a fabulous writer, but her understanding of story structure is unparalleled. And so I was working on my Save the Cat outline and I was stuck. I knew certain points. I didn't, for, so I had holes in the bad guys close in section and I knew the all is lost I felt like I knew the break into Act 3, but then the finale, the, there's a five-part finale that uh, she goes into in the book Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Birdie, which expands on the original Blake Snyder Save the Cat for screenwriters. So I had these two big chunks that were kind of like, what goes there? What are the scenes? I didn't have any scenes in my first draft for that, or they were just all wrong. And so she was like, okay, what's your all is lost? And I told her, and she's like, that sounds like that's your finale. And I'm like, wait, what? Well, if that's the finale, then I don't have an all is lost and I don't have bad guys close in. And so we sort of talked it through and her idea of the, the plot points were a little different than mine, but hers made more sense. <laughs> and so, and in talking it through and reworking the actual plot points in this plotting system, I had my breakthrough. I was like, oh, this is what it's about. This is what I can do. Because I was going to be trying to figure out how I can add more scenes to fill out, not just to fill out the plot points, but 
to make it so that I have this cause and effect relationship that I'm going from what I knew was the midpoint of the novel and of the character change. But how do I get, you know, specifically my, my heroine to this ending? She has to make this big decision. And do I have enough meat on the bone? Like, do I have enough reason for that? Talking it through was super helpful. And because, you know, Inez has been with me all every step of the way for this book, she knows, you know, if I tell her, and this is where this happened, she's like, okay, you told me about that. And did you change that? And like, she's familiar with it. Having someone to talk through the story with who is, who, you know, has been there from the beginning, having some sort of, whether it's a critique group or a partner that you're writing with, I don't know. That element of the community aspect is super helpful. I find it helpful. It helps me. I help her talk through things. And maybe, you know, we don't use the suggestions that we give, but the act of explaining it to someone else, you're then you you can realize some of the holds yourself. And you're like, oh, wait, I just said that, but that doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> and they're asking questions. Invaluable. I've also used ChatGPT for that too. It's a little bit more difficult, but if you are using ChatGPT and you keep all your conversations about a specific book in one chat stream, it remembers. So it will build off of things. Now it is a computer. <laughs> it's AI. So there are great suggestions and then it's going to veer off, but I do use that as well to figure out. It, it's harder. At the stage that I was at, I think it would have been impossible for me to use ChatGPT Um unless I had been using it the whole time and it knew everything that I was doing. But yeah, there are times when it's helpful for brainstorming and helpful for like suggesting different scenes that will do this, this, and this, or suggesting different character arcs or how how a character can get from point A to point B. Humans are good for that too, of course. So that was my breakthrough. That is how I approached the revision. I do think that I'm going to do a revision course in January. So we're going to do Preptober, Nano, take December off, come back, revise in January. I think it will be paid. Um, I'm going to like do an actual course and then probably do some live videos too. I don't know what I'm doing, but this is the idea because it's helpful for me to like really break down the revision process and see how do I do this? Because I kind of go through these steps every time and it feels chaotic to me, but there is a process behind it. And I think that teaching the process clarifies it for me as well and um, will help. I do want to give a shout out to author Montrez. I was on her channel, her YouTube channel um, this weekend doing a live video. I will link to it. It's the Novel Creature Network. And it was such a fun interview. It was great. It was uh, awesome to talk to her. So check that out if you are interested. I go into how I started writing, all of the background stuff. Um, if you're new here, you might be interested. If you're old, you've probably heard it before. <laughs> but it was great. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was authenticity. There were a couple of examples recently of artists being authentic and kind of being rewarded for it. So I talked about Zigzag Claiborne's Kickstarter in my last episode. It will, I'm not sure when it ends, um, if it's still open when the episode drops, I will link to it again. There was another, this musical artist, Ren, who I think I've talked about before. He's a British artist. He, I've been following him for a long time and he sort of blew up recently and I believe he blew up on account of his like raw vulnerability and authenticity. And so he is an independent artist, not signed to a label. He had this goal with this new album to hit the number one in the UK, in the UK charts. And he did it. And 
And I watched this video. It's like he wanted to find out on the radio live. So his friends were around him. He was listening to the radio. And then they announced that he had hit number one in the UK for the number one album. And I don't know this man. I, I, but I started crying, like, because if you followed the stories, like he's been very ill. He has had autoimmune conditions. He's traveled to Canada. He did, I think it was a GoFundMe to pay for this treatment for this, um, like experimental treatment for this illness that he's had for many, many years. That was very debilitating. And he kind of talks about that a lot. And I think his album is actually all about that. And he's connected with people through this vulnerability that I think that you can feel. And, you know, there's a reason why there's some things that just hit you in the heart. And I was so happy that he hit number one in the UK. And I went and bought his album because he's like, now can we hit in top 100 in the US? Like, he knows he's not going to in this much larger market, but if you can crack the top 100. I'm like, yeah, I don't even know if I like these songs. Like I like some of his music, but I buy the album just to support, just to, because the story and the feeling that you get from just somebody being real. And we have this like lingo, like, oh, keep it real, keep it 100, that we t- people say offhand. But like when someone is actually keeping it real, it's something that you feel viscerally. And especially when they're left of center, when they're not necessarily on market, on trend, it's just something that's coming from their heart and their soul. And I don't know, it's just so inspiring. Like just those stories are so inspiring to me and I love them. And I think my hope um, as a creative is to just dive deeper into authenticity and really connect my work with my heart and my soul. Cause that's part of the purpose that I was talking about before. And I think I finally figured out my point. I don't dream of labor, but I dream of connection. And I think that the work that you put in, the work that I'm putting in and telling the stories and reaching out is about that. And that is part of purpose. And when you connect it, when you connect art to commerce, it's always difficult. But these are instances when people support, you know, out of this feeling of connection, this feeling of just wanting you to succeed because you seem really cool. And I just want you to succeed. I love that. And it just feels like that's more of that should happen and more of that is happening. And I'm, I'm grateful. So that's all. So that's it for me for this week. Um, my goals are to revise. I've got a schedule. I've got, I've given myself just under two months to do the revision. I figured out, I booked my editor. I worked it out with the audio people. So the Brutal Fortress should be out in March of 2024. And once I get further into the revision, I'll put up a pre-order. But if you are interested, if you're not on my author newsletter, you can go to lpenelope.com slash newsletter to get on that for updates about when this book will be out and all my other books and things. So I'm excited. And then also keep planning for my prep, for my NaNoWriMo book. I think I have a title for it. I don't know when I, but I've been changing it. So I'm not comfortable saying it yet because everything is still in flux. And do all the other million things that are on my to-do list. I hope that you have a wonderful week full of purpose and authenticity and connection. And I will talk to you next time. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. And I would really appreciate a rating, a review to help support the show. 
My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.